So you might think that the uh, title I've given my talk this afternoon is a bit presumptuous. Um, who am I to say what a successful digital resource is? So I'll say first of all that if British History Online is successful, then that will be largely because of decisions taken before I worked there, so I'm not <laughs> responsible for them. Uh, here's our homepage. And secondly, um, that there is an element of luck in the success that the site has had, and that's going to be one of the themes of my talk this afternoon, luck and the allied idea that you can only have limited uh, control over the impact that you, your resource has. I should also say that we've tried a few things that haven't worked, and I'll come back to a couple of those later. So one of my main recommendations today would be, if you have a digital resource, try lots of things, and some of them might work. Uh, we've been going for 10 years. We are celebrating our anniversary this summer with a Flickr competition. So if you have uh, photos of old buildings in Britain you'd like to add to our group on Flickr, then please do so. Um, 10 years is quite uh, successful, I think, in terms of longevity for a digital resource, because we've been adding, actively adding content for all of that time. Um, Here's a stats page from our site to show you our kind of page views. So these add up to something over 15 million page impressions a year. Um, and 50,000 people have signed up for our free user account, which um, does help us with things like Judith was talking about survey responses. There's a little checkbox you can, you can check when you sign up which means we can contact you for surveys and things. So we regularly get over a 1,000 uh, responses to our surveys. Um, <laughs> uh, that's very useful. It's a useful constituency to have. And they also will, people will also sign up for further surveys if you ask them at the end. So that's also a nice pool of people that are actually quite engaged that we can tap into. And so this means we're financially uh, self-sustaining in terms of keeping the site going, uh, in terms of infrastructure and things like that, and in terms of staff time. But what we don't generate is the income which would allow us to digitise more content from that because we use the same expensive method that Ebo TCP uses, uh, which is that we have all of our text rekeyed by uh, individuals, which is the expensive but good way to do it. Um, it. But that does mean that because of the quality of the site and the number of page views we get on the site, that some people are willing to pay us to digitise their content and add it uh, to, to, to British History Online. So I've just finished um, digitising the complete set of the uh, Royal Commission on Historic Monuments of England series. That's uh, owned by English Heritage. It's about 43 volumes. And we also digitised their Survey of London series for them. This one's an ongoing series, a really detailed architectural series uh, on the history of London. This is uh, the old London water, Waterworks building in uh, Rosebury Avenue. Has lots of, the modern editions have uh, nice colour photos, but it's been going since, I think, about 1900, and we have over 70 volumes uh, that they've paid for us to digitise and put on BHO. And they pay for that because they have to show impact and public engagement to their funders, which is the government. So uh, everybody wins out of this uh, situation. We get free content. And uh, they, they get to show greater public engagement on a very high-profile website. And best of all, it's a genuine public good because we're making these rather rare and little-known volumes on the architecture of England. Here's a shot from the Oxford, City of Oxford volume. Um, available for free around the world. This one is... Uh, I don't know. Does anyone know if Stone's Arm House is still, still in St. Clement's? Yeah. 
this, this volume was done in about 1933, I think, so some things have been knocked down since, uh, which is one of the reasons why they uh, started the series for preservation. And so I'm sure you'll talk lots this week about collaboration, and this is a good example of how it can work really well. We generate money from various uh, streams. We have institutional subscriptions, which is normally university libraries and some museums around the world. Uh, most of the site is completely free, but we do have a, it's about a quarter of the site, which is the really hardcore historical material. I'm thinking of things like medieval uh, roles in Latin and things like that, uh, part of our subscription service. And we also sell uh, individual subscriptions, which was something of, uh, we always, was always planning the business plan to be a small revenue stream, but actually we get a lot more of those individual subscribers than uh, we expected. So that's actually done very well for us. I was talking to someone at the OED recently, and they said they don't, uh, they, at that point anyway, they don't sell individual subs. And I was trying to say that's a really um, short-sighted way of looking at it, because you never know what you'll get. Uh, you already have a subscription model set up, why not let uh, individuals subscribe? Um, and because of our, our high number of page impressions, we also generate quite a lot of money through advertisements, which we do through Google AdWords. And the last source of funding, which enabled us to do the TIDSA toolkit, which you've already heard about, is that we apply for funding from um, the funding councils. Another thing I want to say about uh, measuring the impact of a successful resource, or of an unsuccessful resource, I think, is that you can only have limited knowledge about what that impact is. I'll come back to this briefly. But believing we can only have limited knowledge doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. And the TIDSA toolkit um, is one way of doing that. We used that toolkit in uh, 2010 and 11, so on a different uh, funding strand from the one that Judith did it on. If anyone's interested in our reports, I can give you the URLs to those um, to see what we did. But I think, in a sense, uh, using the toolkit would be useful even if there were no tools in the toolkit, because it actually makes you stop and think about what you're doing, about your impact. And if you're given money from a funding council as well, as Judith was too, it gives you the time and space just to step back from uh, adding content all the time to thinking about why are you doing this, how are you reaching people, what do they think of it, what works and what doesn't work. And to be honest, we've, we've had a few ideas of what we can do, which we came up with during the, uh, the process of doing the toolkit, which we haven't actually had, had time to implement because when that period was over, we were kind of back to the bad rush of adding more and more content to BHO. Now clearly the um, million, million plus page impressions that we get every month that I mentioned are not all professional historians. Uh, we actually get about over 250,000 unique visitors a month. And a high percentage of our page views come from search, directly from search, mostly Google, but other search uh, providers as well. And this is one of the lucky aspects, I promise I'll talk about luck. This is one of the lucky aspects of British History Online, which is that our subject matter is right in the sweet spot of what people are interested in. So people all around the world are interested in local history, and people all around the world are really interested in family history. So we get lots of people from the UK, also from the US, Australia, lots of other places, who are researching their ancestors and where their ancestors came from. So people in America find out that their great-great-grandfather uh, came from a village in Somerset, and we happen to have the authoritative parish-by-parish -parish history of Somerset uh, online for free. So we have a lot of names in our material, as well as lots of local history. And none of this was planned as link bait, but it just has turned out to generate lots and lots of traffic. 
And Google's ranking algorithms help us with that. If you search British history uh, on Google, you probably get a very high hit, very high ranking for British history online. Uh, that's for a number of things, but I think one of the key things is that we have an ac.uk domain name, and Google gives very uh, high prominence to that. But if you're relying on Google for, um, for your income, which we are, you have to be careful because uh, last year we had a sudden dip in our, in our referrals to the site and our income from ads and everything else fell. And that was because Google had slightly tweaked their algorithm about a spring last year. And we came about eighth on the, on the Google main page instead of first. And that really saw a dip in our income. We, of course, we have no control over that. And actually, they realized, I think, that they had not quite got it right. They tweaked it again, and we came back to the top, and everything was OK. But it does just show that uh, if you're relying on search engine traffic, you, you know, you're, it's in somebody else's hands. <coughs> so if our digital resource happened to be about um, the trust inscript inscriptions or um, Russian biochemists or early English laws, whatever we did, we couldn't possibly generate that kind of traffic and that kind of income, that kind of broad spe spectrum income and impact. Which doesn't mean, and I'm sure Eric and Catherine said this earlier, that, that smallest traffic sites can't have important impact in their own field because they can. And in fact, uh, although we haven't done the Etruscan inscriptions or the organic chemists, the IHR has been involved in a project on early English laws. This is all the laws uh, from up to the Magna Carta so this is a very nice site. We worked on this with King's College London. So you have the, the Latin uh, transcription of the law on the left. Here, this on the right is a commentary, and you can toggle both of these. So now I've toggled to having the translation of the Latin on the right-hand side. And of course, you get great manuscript images, which you can zoom right in on, on these. And this is an excellent resource. Um, and it's going to be really important for beginning legal scholars over the next 50 years, because it gives them the chance to do an addition of a, a legal work in a way which is far, far lower cost than any print edition would be. But those things are hard to quantify now, and they'll probably be hard to quantify in, in 50 years' time. So the impact of this uh, is just an unknown, I think. And also hard to impact, uh, or to, sorry, also hard to uh, measure is the impact we're having outside of the academy. When I first started on BHO, uh, as the new one, I was given the job of replying to the feedback. And uh, we get lots of people using uh, BHO who don't really know much about history. So we get loads and loads of specific historical questions, um, like how can I find out who lived in this house in 1920 and so on. We get so many of those that we've actually got a button on our, uh, on our feedback interface that sends an automatic email saying, I'm sorry, we can't help with individual research <laughs> projects. Um, but still we get the uh, emails coming through. And I thought this wasn't a very helpful way to reply to the public. So when I started doing the feedback, I tried to always reply and say, we can't help, but why don't you try here? So I could try your local record office, the DNA, art museum, art gallery, and library, um, the National Archives, anywhere I could think of that might be relevant, just to give them somewhere else to go. So I must have written about a 1,000 of these emails over the last five years or so. But I'll never know how many people actually went on from there and uh, made another step in their research they wouldn't have done if I hadn't replied that way. So it's simply an unknown. Now I promise as well to talk about things that didn't work, uh, and that relates to the questions that we get coming in. We get, uh, we get lots of um, expert users on BHO, but the majority of users are inexpert who come in from search, don't really know even what they're using. So we thought we would try and match the two up, we'd try and have a kind of 
community where people would ask questions and expert users would answer the questions. Um, and this would be a great example of knowledge exchange if it worked. Uh, so here's an example of how it could work. Someone asking about uh, regional dates, a very common thing that we have in our data, and someone answering in an exemplary way, telling you what it means, but also generally how to find out more information in the conversion table. But we unfortunately, we get very few of these. I, I guess over the last two or three years of doing these, we've had about 20 that have been exactly what we wanted. Most of the things that come in are things like, how do I subscribe, where we've already said on our, you know, our form, please don't ask about subscription questions here. <laughs> and also, very specific historical questions, like, does anyone know my great-great-grandfather who went to America in 1880? So we just can't, um, we can't, we can't put those up, because they don't help anybody more generally to learn how to use the resource. So this hasn't been a great success. And I don't think, my boss was saying to me last week, well, whose fault is this? And I was saying, I just don't think it's anybody's fault. We tried it, it didn't quite work. And, you know, these things happen. Um, another thing that didn't work out, and again, he asked me whose fault was this, uh, was uh, <laughs> we held a conference for local record societies a few years ago. Uh, a few years ago, the, uh, the Charity Commission tightened up on its regulations on who has charitable status, and they demanded that you show public engagement. And we thought, well, these record societies have all got these transactions and whatever kind of publications they have. They could pay us to put them on British History Online. So we got them all onto a conference. Uh, we talked to them about the importance of digitization, the importance of the rekeying method I just showed you. And then we thought we'd wait and see who kind of, because some of them do have quite deep pockets, who will come up with some money to digitize their records with British History Online. And the answer was nobody. So that was a complete failure. <laughs> um, I promised I didn't want, I wouldn't talk much about uh, TIDSA. And, uh, but Judith said that I was going to talk about digital citation, so I'll just say that <laughs> we found also that very few people are citing British history online. Um, and we know that partly because people write in and get very cross because they can't use British history online to cite the print book that British history online is based on. Um, so to put that quite clearly, what they want to do is not have to look at the thing they want to cite. In other words, they want to uh, cite the print book, but they don't want the trouble of looking at the print book they want to ignore and cut us out of the whole, uh, cut us out of the loop, really. And in terms of impact, that's obviously a very difficult situation for us. Some researchers, and we don't know how many, are using BHO and then not citing it. And so when we try and show our impact to the community, we struggle. And the problem is a general one with citation culture at the moment, which is it's just not a transparent process. People don't think it's in any way wrong to convert the, the source they use for their research to a source they didn't use for their research because it's print. And then following on from that, my colleague uh, has just completed another impact and sustainability uh, project, which relates to BHO, and he did all the usual things, surveys, focus groups, and lots of stats gathering. And one thing he asked about was uh, what journeys using British History Online had saved people where they would have gone to a library. And he found that an average of 3.5 hours travel time per user per year was saved by using BHO. And because he asked how people travel to the library, he was then able to calculate a saving of 1.9 uh, kilograms of carbon dioxide and £13.76 in fares and fuel. Um, now, because we have such a, a large user group, that scales up. So taking only UK users, which were who are educated to HE level, Bruce calculates savings of uh, direct costs of £366,000 a year, 92,000 hours of travel, and 29 tonnes of carbon dioxide. And I should emphasise it's been really conservative in the way that he calculated these statistics. 
Um, and these are things that are not usually directly associated with impact, but they do have an important impact on society. Mm. Now that report, which Bruce just finished last week, is not yet on our institutional repository, but if anybody's interested, when it's up in a few weeks, I'm happy to send you a URL, so just drop me a line and I'll send you a copy of that. Am I okay for time, Peter? This is another project I've been involved with and which uh, British History Online is part of, Connected Histories. This brings together multiple historical sources for the UK. And at the last count, I believe it had over 10 billion words in it, which is, um, I was quite surprised when I read that. There's a great, it's a great resource, but it has the opposite effect of British History Online in terms of search engine and link traffic. Because what we have here it's just a front end. This sits in our offices in London. And if you enter a query to any of these 25-odd uh, resources, then the query is sent to Sheffield, where it's looked up in the indexes, and the reply, reply query is sent back. So all this is the front end. So there's nothing there for you to find via Google, apart from the words connected in histories. That's really it. So we're, we're having trouble, because it's a great resource, but there's just a technical barrier to people finding it or even knowing it exists. Um, just paid for us to do all this work, connecting up these things. So um, in May, the press officer asked the IHR to come up with a load of stories about royal births in Connected Histories uh, for the expected uh, royal birth in July. And my boss very gleefully gave me this, this job to <laughs> find uh, Connected because he knew there were two things I least like, uh, babies and royal families. Um, but it, it was instructive using Connected Histories again, just how much and how rich and varied the resources are. I was very glad I could find this uh, image of a queen and a balding baby from uh, British Museum's online database, for example. And this has gone into the press release, along with lots of other things which um, really show the range. But I can see already we're competing with uh, other people with all their slideshows about royal births. There's one on the BBC at the moment, for example, so who knows whether this will make it through. And the great thing about this is it really does deepen people's knowledge of what's available, because they can search on something and then find there are lots of other related databases that they never knew even existed, like the Clergy of the Church of England database or the, the Convict Transportation databases and so on. Uh, this could have a great impact on the public at large, but at present I'm afraid it's just not being found by the public at large. I don't know how many people here are old enough to remember this book, which came out in 1987. Um, and just coming back to my theme of luck, it came out in 1987. Uh, and it became a big hit two years later when, of course, one of the two great powers at the time, uh, what Paul Kennedy calls the bipolar world, completely collapsed very suddenly. And uh, you used to see people everywhere reading the rise of the great powers and stroking their chins and thinking about the deep tectonic plates of history. Um, so its impact, its, its kind of bestseller quality was actually more related to the timing of the book, again, the issue of luck, than it was to the, the inherent scholarship of the book. And uh, Kennedy's a military historian at Yale, and this year he's just come out with another book. This one a slightly narrower focus about the Second World War. And what's interesting from our point of view is that he cites Wikipedia in, uh, in this book. I counted in the back, uh, he's listed 11 separate Wikipedia pages in his, uh, in his bibliography. And he, he describes things as being, uh, a very, there's one page he describes having a best uh, footnotes and further reading on any, of anything on that topic he's seen. He describes other pages as very thorough, uh, other pages as excellent. And in an interview he said that, that some of these Wikipedia pages were simply the best material he could find on the topic. Um, so it's maybe we're seeing a turning point in the, in the citation of digital resources. 
but we have to admit, if you're a famous best-selling historian from Yale, it's a lot easier to cite Wikipedia in your book than if you're a, a starting researcher trying to make your way as a, a serious uh, academic. But I think it's significant this is happening now. And Wikipedia has had enormous uh, social and cultural impact, but again, uh, we, would, we would not see that if we did citation analysis. We just wouldn't see it. I think one of the great things about Wikipedia is that it makes transparent the pitfalls of reference publishing, because people don't quite trust Wikipedia, and that's an excellent thing. And if they move on to not quite trusting the OED or the Encyclopedia Britannica, then that would be a real social impact that Wikipedia would have had, which I think would be absolutely fantastic. But if you look for academic citations, of course, apart from a few areas like cultural studies, TV, and things like that, where you sometimes see YouTube and Wikipedia quoted, you just won't find citations to these. At the IHR, we've been carrying out benchmarking studies for the last 10 years, iteratively, of historians and their attitudes to digital resources. In the last round, I interviewed a medieval historian, and he said to me, of course, everyone looks at Wikipedia. Uh, and this is a professor of medieval history, I should say. They just wouldn't mention it to anybody else. And that makes it very hard for Wikipedia to measure its own impact. And I hope that with principled historians like Paul Kennedy leading the way, we may be about to see a, a change uh, in attitudes to digital resources, and that in itself should lead to a greater appreciation of impact. So here are my contact details. If you want any of the, oh, that's my Wikipedia page that you point to. Um, anything that I've mentioned that you want links to, then please do let me know. Thanks. <laughs>